It's my favorite time of the week as I get to uh, uh, work with Chris as we put the finishing wrap or finishing touches on this week's uh, week of shows as we welcome you to this uh, 381st episode of Unscripted, our freeform Friday edition of the program. Uh, we've been doing it for a while. I don't really have to give you the rules anymore. There aren't any. Chris goes on to our Twitter account tries to find some interesting topics, which there are usually a plethora of. Uh, Chris introduces it, we bounce it around, and we move on to the next, uh, the next topic that Chris finds interesting. It's been a great way to put a wrap of the week of shows, and uh, let's not listen to me babble on. Let's give the microphone over to the executive producer of Unscripted and see what he's got for us this week on our Twitter account, and we welcome into the program Mr. Fluke. Thanks, Mike. Okay, well, we just finished the last episode talking about boxing, so I thought I'd keep that theme going. Boxing Kingdom at Boxing Kingdom 14 on Twitter. And I'm going to reword it because I don't like how they worded it, but it's real simple. Who wins this fight if both these guys are in their prime? Ali or Tyson? Oh, God. Wow. I don't think there was a better technician before... He missed the four years because of his uh, resistance to uh, go into the uh, into the army or go to Vietnam, and and uh, I don't know if there was a better technician. I also don't think in his prime, when Gustamato was still alive and Kevin Rooney was his trainer, I don't think there was a more fearsome fighter than Michael Tyson. But in their respective primes. Just because Ali was smarter, I think, I would have to give the nod to Ali in his prime. So I'm talking probably the Cassius Clay days back in the 60s when he was winning Olympic gold and he was, you know, beating Sonny Liston in 65. He did it He did it not only with a great, obviously, ability to punch and hit, but he, he helped thought a lot of these guys too. And some of these guys, you know, aren't rocket scientists, so that probably wasn't but I think that would be the way that in their respective primes that Ali could get around Mike Tyson. Yeah, I, I actually think I tend to agree with you there. I'm not uh, as high on uh, Muhammad Ali as a lot of people. I'm not saying he's bad or anything, but to me, just he's one of those guys where the legend and the myth grew so much through the talking and everything. It's almost like a Bruce Lee where like, I'd love to see how Bruce Lee would do in the UFC today. A lot Ooh. of people just because they've seen so many Kung Fu movies, think he'd just go in there and just destroy just everybody. Kick everybody's ass, and it's yeah. like, well, maybe, but yeah. you know, it's a lot of that's Hollywood, you guys. So I don't know about that, but uh, I think that Ellie being way smarter than Tyson would certainly be a, a huge advantage. And I think of Lennox Lewis, who had no trouble with Mike Tyson at all. Lennox Lewis is a grandmaster in chess and Lennox Lewis simply said, ten, uh, 10 times out of 10, I would beat Mike Tyson. But when Tyson was not all world at the end, that's after Gustamato had died. Oh, and, way after, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, you've got Don King, which who really screwed up Mike Tyson. I, I don't care what anybody says. I've told you the story about the time when Mike I met Mike Tyson in a Vegas gym. Um, nicest guy in the world. Doesn't come off like the thug that he, he comes off uh, today. I mean, Mike Tyson now, look at him. Last week was at uh, Alabama, University of Alabama, giving a, a speech uh, to the Alabama Crimson Tide players and coaches as they opened up their season. So um, Mike Tyson was unbelievable. And the things that he did and the way he demolished people, I mean, 
Michael Spinks was a gold medal winner and had won a heavyweight title. And to destroy him in 91 seconds, that's just... I don't think Ali had the punching power that Mike Tyson did. But I think, no. again, at the end, in the end, if they were to meet... meet if they were to match up against each other, I think Ali's brain would ultimately win probably like a, not a knockout, but it would be like a technical knockout. Yeah, and I, or even a decision, A really. decision, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, even against Tyson's prime, I mean, he won in his prime because, and yeah, he had good people around him potentially, like Customato, but I mean, he, he was all about the punching power and the Correct. speed, right? So... Yeah. I still don't think that even in his prime that he's going to beat Lennox Lewis. I really don't. And Lewis was way taller, I yeah. think had a lot more reach and could be more defensive. It's just like, it's a it's a milder version of how I just think that Manny Pacquiao would never, ever, 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 ever beat Floyd Mayweather. And I mean, there was uh, Manny Pacquiao won another fight the other day. Right. And so there was calls like, oh, Mayweather, like now can you beat him? Like, Okay, you guys aren't getting it. Like Manny Pacquiao is a little guy who's really fast and throws punches and he's all exciting. And Mayler sits back and is the best defensive boxer ever. And it's just, it's not even a fair fight. It's not, the the style matchup is a nightmare for Pacquiao. And uh, he's just never going to win. So I, I'll always, I'll pretty much always take the smarter fighter is, yeah. what, is what I'll do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I felt bad about this. Adam Schefter, uh, at Adam Schefter posted this. This I won't read the whole tweet, but basically Derwin James has a stress fracture in his foot and is going to be out for about three months. Could come back around Thanksgiving or in December. Maybe be there for uh, try and win the last couple of games. Maybe uh, get a playoff push there. But Derwin James is a really nice story in the NFL. Should have gone seventh overall to the Tampa Bay Bucks uh, a year ago. Instead, he go he falls all the way to seventeenth for no reason at all. The Chargers, Tom Telesco, has just said, "Okay, thank you very much." And Derwin James is already arguably the best safety in the league or certainly one of them and now to lose this is just devastating especially in light of they've had a couple injuries on the line like Russell Okung Melvin Gordon's holding out it's just I mean they have so much potential it sucks they're in the same division as the Chiefs but they have so much potential to be so good there's so many nice pieces about this team and I just feel really awful about them uh, but I mean, wow, has Derwin James ever been good? This is just so unfortunate. But it just continues what we've said for years, Baltimore and the Chargers. Just injuries, injuries, injuries all the time. I don't know if you blame a stress fracture on the training staff. At least it's not New Orleans doctors. But <laughs> but I mean, it's really sad. Like your thoughts on Derwin James? Well, I think Derwin James was the steal of last year's draft, to be quite honest with you. And uh, I really believe, and I still believe this, that before the Packers traded the 14th pick to the New Orleans Saints last year, enabling the Saints to take uh, the defensive end out of the University of Texas, San Antonio Davenport. I don't remember his first name. And then the Packers ended up moving down and then moving up and getting Jair Alexander at 18. But they had a chance at 14 to get Derwin James from Florida State. And I was praying that the Packers would take Derwin James. They didn't. And... Um, I, I truly believe that Derwin James was the best first-round acquisition last year. Well, certainly in terms of value. In terms of value, what he did at the position that he was drafted, I think he was the best value pick in the whole first round. And um, I think this is going to be a tough year in Los Angeles for the Chargers. Uh, finally, this is their last year of playing in that AAA soccer stadium, so that's something to get excited about. But I think that the Melvin Gordon... Holdout doesn't seem to be making any progress at no, all. None. 
Um, they're talking about talking with Philip Rivers after the season about extending his contract. There's something wrong with the whole front office of the Los Angeles slash San Diego slash Tijuana City Chargers. Um, there's a lot of talent there. I don't think they realize how good they are. And I think that's going to come back and bite them in the ass. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why the San Diego slash Los Angeles slash Tijuana City Chargers have played in only one Super Bowl. They should have played in more than one with the oh, talent yeah. base that they had. When they had Dan Fouts and that unbelievable Air Coriel offense, why couldn't somebody in their front office get them, buy them something, get them some defense because their offense was good enough to really hide a lot of defensive problems that they had, and they had to. But um, San Diego slash Tijuana slash Los Angeles Chargers have always been run by idiots, and I just don't know what's going on, and I think it goes back to that owner who just doesn't seem to have a clue. I really hope they go back to San Diego someday. I would would be nice. I really I, I don't when they get into that new palace mm-hmm. that uh Kronke is building on the old Hollywood Park um I don't think they'll ever leave. I know, but they'll be that they're playing second fiddle to the Rams. It's it's too bad. I feel bad for them. I would really like to see Philip Rivers win a Super Bowl. I really I like too. him. He deserves it. I would it. too. He's one of those guys. He doesn't have to have six like Brady Rather did. He just seems like a guy who should have one Super Bowl. I don't want him to end up like Marino. I'm sad that Antonio Gates probably won't be a part of it. I wish that uh, that connection would have had a Super Bowl best quarterback to tight end connection of all time, and uh, so so that makes me sad. But anyway. well, and and I I do need to say this in regard to the Chargers. I think Anthony Lynn has done a hell of a job. Yeah, yeah, and um, he has dealt with injuries. He has dealt with holdouts. He has dealt with a lot of things, and he's dealing with sixteen road games a season. Yeah, Ugh. because they're still practicing in San Diego. And they're still getting, yeah, more visiting fans. Because every visiting fan says, oh, all right, I get, I get to go see a Broncos game or whatever. The Packers are out in that, in that soccer stadium this year, and I can tell you 32,000 seats and three-quarters of them will be filled with Packer fans. Wow, nine home games for the Packers this year. Oh, yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's good news. That's, that's <laughs> exactly. good news. All right, sounds yeah. good. All right, for the win, for the win. DeMarcus Cousins' injury timeline is absolutely heartbreaking. Have you seen this? Yes. Yeah, your buddy Boogie Cousins tore his ACL. Your thoughts on uh, on this happening before he could even play for the Lakers? Okay, two things. First of all, it's a goddamn travesty. Um, I just... Boogie Cousins has been waiting for a payday since his Sacramento days. And before they had to pay him in Sacramento, they ship him to New Orleans. Then he's putting up all-star numbers in New Orleans with Anthony Davis down in New Orleans, and he tears an Achilles tendon. Then he signs a one-year prove-it deal for $10 bucks with the Golden State Warriors. He's playing good basketball, finally sees the playoffs, blows out a, a, a quad muscle in his leg. He does make it back in the finals, but he was never the same. So he's got to go out and sign a one-year prove-it deal with the Lakers for $3.5 million, and then this happens. And supposedly, according to all accounts, he was in some of the best shape that people have ever seen him in. He's now approaching or maybe has reached 30 years old, which for a basketball player is not, you know, is not a death knell, but you're on the second, you're on the downside of your career. There's no question about that. But what really pisses me off 
is some moron named Dominic Foxworth something. He used to be a defensive back in the NFL. And he came on first take the other day, you know, Stephen A's scream fest with Max Kellerman and says the Lakers' chances of getting to the finals are now better without Cousins. And I'm going, what in the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? How can First Take allow, or ESPN, allow some small-mind moron who doesn't even play the game of basketball, his trait was football, how can he make a proclamation like that? Anthony Davis has told anybody that will listen to him that he does not want to play the five spot in Los Angeles. Even though he's almost seven feet tall, he's more comfortable at the power position, the four spot, not the five spot. Boogie was coming in to take on the big monsters in the five spot and leave Anthony Davis to do his thing on the outside. Do you feel comfortable? I know I don't. As a Laker fan, I don't feel comfortable at all with giving more minutes to JaVale McGee. (laughs) spell out the letters javal mcgee and it comes out he sucks i'm only being facetious here but he sucks with the way things ended up this year in los angeles with losing Kawhi leonard to the competition in regard to him coming to los angeles and bringing paul george with him boogie cousins was needed there for not only obviously for his play on the basketball court but for the star power he could potentially bring to Los Angeles, along with his former Kentucky teammate, Anthony Davis, and of course, LBJ. And now they don't have that. Um, I feel really bad for DeMarcus Cousins on a lot of different uh, levels, but I feel bad for the Lakers too, because the Lakers trying to overtake the Clippers, not only in the NBA itself, but in the city of Los Angeles, just got a hell of a lot harder. Yeah, that was really too bad. Uh, okay, so <laughs> this one made me laugh. Uh, ABC Action News at ABC Action News survey: forty-five percent of Americans wear underwear two days or longer. Hmm. That's not me. I have never even. I've thought never of that. even thought of doing that. I know. I know people that are so lazy that um, they'll switch it around after a couple days. They'll inside out it and just wear it the other way because they're so freaking lazy. <laughs> That's stupid. I can't see that, and um, I don't want to know anybody on that list of forty-five percent that wear underwear more than two days. Um, there are circumstances, obviously, if you're on a camping trip. You, and remember, I don't camp, but I've heard um, that can be a situation. Um, if you have your washing machine break down, that's certainly a situation until you can get a, a technician in to repair it. Um, there are some scenarios there, but I also, I'll tell you this, I would go commando before I'd go a third day in the same pair of oh, underwear. I, I'd probably go commando before I went a second day actually. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> dead spin at dead spin coach who made $850,000 last year says his unpaid players are required to donate $50 to the program. So, so now this is, I guess it's the rage and Cajuns. I don't even know what school that is. That's but... university of Louisiana, I believe at Lafayette. Okay. Well, so we're going the wrong way folks. So now not only are the players getting paid, they have to pay to play. So Thoughts so this that. coach is asking his players to contribute $50 of their weekend meal money to the program. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he made almost a million himself. Yeah, and they're unpaid. Um, you know, my only comment there is that coach is a is a um, 
knuckle dragging moron. Yep. Um, and I don't think we have to go any farther than that. I just can't believe that he's asking his athletes to contribute to the program when they don't get any money, legitimate money, and they get what a hundred bucks a weekend to survive. Yeah. And and uh, he's asking him uh, to contribute fifty bucks. I think that's preposterous. That coach should lose his job. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Ben Fox at B Fox ESPN. Uh, today, Iowa becomes the uh, U.S. state number 11 to take a legal sports bet. And if any of Mike's family is listening, Iowa totally does not stand for idiots out walking around. Wandering so, around. Uh, wandering around. Sorry, idiots out wandering right. around. Yeah, yeah. That, that's more idiotic than walking. Right. Like wandering. Wandering. Yeah, yeah. Like cluelessly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll list the uh, 11 states for you. So here are the 11 states that have taken a legal sports bet. Uh, Iowa, Nevada, Delaware, New Jersey, Mississippi, West Virginia, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Arkansas, and New York. Your thoughts on the ever-growing number of states that can take a legal sports bet because it's not 1862? Well, I don't know, but I'm kind of starting to wonder where the other 39 uh, states are. Because if there are some states, and supposedly per capita, two of the poorest states per home, you know, per capita, per population capita, two of the poorest states in the United States are West Virginia and Kentucky. I see West Virginia's on the list. Kentucky should be on the list. If you are looking for ways to raise revenues in your respective states, I think there are two ways in this day and age to do it. Legalize cannabis and legalize sports betting. Because those are two things, regardless of how bad things are, in your home, in regard to your job status or whatever, we always seem to find money to bet on something. Um, I, I just, and, and for potheads especially, they will do anything. They will beg, borrow, and steal to get that next, what did I call it before? The next uh, blunt. Um, <laughs> I just think if you are a state that is having some problems right now, and obviously there are a few of them, down in the United States in regard to uh, economy-wise, open your eyes and open up your uh, wallets and open up your minds to an unbelievable way to get some revenue flowing literally through your state. The other 39 states that haven't taken a bet, wake the fuck up and realize how much money potentially is right there. You can tax it. You can do whatever you need to do to it. But ultimately, you're getting a a piece of the pie. Pull your head out of your ass and start getting into the game. Come on. I can't believe it's taken that long. Getting the game is right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Etobicoke Ernie. Etobicoke Ernie. I still own a set of the old-fashioned lawn darts that had a giant spike on the end like a Civil War bayonet. I used to play with these. At the lake, we used to have these gigantic old school lawn darts. I enjoyed those. How about you? I I remember a cousin of mine. Um, we used to get together. As as you know, Fourth of July is huge down in the United States, and I remember getting together with family members in the Green Bay area and playing long darts with those old missiles years ago. And I remember throwing a dart that landed in my cousin's foot. And, um, I, I felt pretty bad about it at the time, but then I realized which cousin I got and I got over it really quick. Um, (laughs) so I remember those. I really, truly do. And, uh, I'm glad somebody is still playing with those missiles 
otherwise known as long darts. Oh, I, I remember nailing a cousin of mine right in a foot, and it stuck in the foot just like that. And I was oh. like, yeah. So I felt bad. I put yeah. on I put on the persona that I felt bad, but ultimately inside I was going, yeah, because it wasn't one of my favorite cousins. Oh, man. Yeah, we did lots of those. We played horseshoes at the lake. Yeah. I remember oh, yeah. playing horseshoes. We played horseshoes. We played lawn darts. We played, uh, what's the one, a croquet? Croquet, yeah, I was thinking yeah. that. That was the next one I was going to mention because my buddy Trevor and I that I spent my summers with, we would, like his, so his cabin was probably... Uh, well, it was a few minutes by bike. So let's say it was, I don't know, a 20 minute walk away from my cabin. We would set up, we would take multiple croquet sets and set up a gigantic course between the two. And we'd play like, and we would, we would like wreck these because we were hammering them so hard. We'd wreck these mallets in no time. We'd set up this huge thing. It would like be an all day thing. And then, you know, one of us would get a ways ahead and then you have to like literally Run back a ways. Your turn, and then <laughs> your turn. Okay, run back. Did you ever get hit with a croquet ball? Uh, no, I don't think so. Our games would get so competitive oh, no. that people would start whipping the cro- croquet balls at each other. And oh, I once no. got one right in the back, right, you know, in the Ooh. shoulder blades, and that hurt for a long time because oh, yeah. th- those coming at a at a fair rate of speed and get you flush. I was hurt for quite a while. I remember kicking the hell out of that cousin after I got better, but I remember kicking the hell out of that cousin. Our family was very unbelievably yeah, competitive. It like it. Unbelievably competitive. Oh, boy. And if things weren't going well, we start throwing things. Yikes. Oof. Yeah, I took a, I took a croquet ball right between the, the shoulder blades, and that, that hurt for quite a while. Uh, Raymond Summerlin at RM Summerlin. The year is 2027. Frank Gore is just two teams away from playing for every organization. <laughs> The defending champion Rams signed Super Bowl MVP Blake Bortles to an $80 million per year extension. The Colts finally think they have figured out Andrew Luck's injury. <laughs> um, how many teams? I mean, let's just, just rattle off the ones we can think of that Frank, Frank Gore has played uh, for. Colts. The Colts. Niners. 49ers. Dolphins. dolphins Bills. Um, uh, there's got to be a few more. Uh, Jesus. Um I don't know, but yeah, there's, it's yeah. been a few. Um, Blake Bortles, yeah. He hadn't been signed by anybody yet, has he? Oh, yes. He is the backup for the Rams. Oh, that's right. Okay, so he, that's right. So that's he, right. you know what? He was, that's right. He After signing that recent like 20-some million dollar a year deal for some unknown reason with the Jags, he, at this point, you know, his the knock on him has always been that he's not serious about his career. Right. And just like Josh Rosen, I also have a... A scathing article right. and blog about Blake Bortles as well, if you want to check that out on our Patreon page. But Blake Bortles, uh, you know, it's talked about, they talk about how he likes to party all the time, and everyone says he's not serious about his career. So, what he did here is he said he was so interested in learning from Sean McVay yeah. on how to be a good quarterback that he said he'd play for free. Right. I remember so that. So, they yep. just signed him one year, one million is what they Perfect. gave him, which is totally fair. Again, Blake Bortles, one of those guys. I don't want him to be my starter, but he's a great backup. I mean, he's got lots of starting experience. He has a big arm. He has shockingly great scrambling ability. Uh, I, I mean, the, he's the greatest quarterback of all time in garbage time. Like, I mean, not that garbage time when you're on the bad end is going to win you any games, but there is, I have never seen a quarterback better in garbage time. The guy, like, if, if you're, if the other team's not trying, that guy will throw an 80 yard touchdown every time. It's unbelievable. So he does have some potential. And uh, I mean, he's someone who could fill in and not just 
throw nothing but interceptions potentially he can throw some touchdowns and scramble into the end zone he's a great backup quarterback at a great price since they're normally two to four million lately but one million for Blake Bortles great for a backup he's done something enough in his career though that you know and it, and it, credit to him about the opportunity that he's gotten in Los Angeles to improve his craft and learn his craft but there is something to work with there I mean, this guy, regardless of how much you don't like him, and I'm not a Blake Bortles fan, but remember, he was about a quarter away of taking the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. So I don't know what the magic was in the water in Jacksonville that year. I don't know. Maybe he got a hold of some good blunts when they were over in (laughs) in London. That's my new word, blunts. I don't know what it was. But for that season... He was not the normal Blake Bortles that we've all grown to hate over his career in the National Football League. But if somebody can find that magic that he had a couple of years ago, I believe the guy that could do it would be Sean McVay. Yeah, absolutely. He's a perfect project for Sean McVay. And the fact that Bortles is willing to go there at a discount is... Is a, is a really good sign. So that's, that's nice. I was concerned like with the Rams having just Sean Mannion back there who's never done anything. Uh, you know, it looked like the Packers. Why, can't, why couldn't the Packers sign Blake Bortles one year? Well, I guess he might not have wanted to go there because he didn't want to learn from, uh, from uh, McCarthy uh, and maybe Matt LaFleur, but we'll see. But yeah, he wanted to learn from McVay. Another reason to have a great coach. Well, I think, I think uh, our guy, um, LaFleur, is going to be a keeper maybe he hasn't shown it yet well but he hasn't we again we we we, he hasn't had a full complement of his offense on the field yet and and that's why i had mentioned a couple episodes ago that i'd like to see aaron Rodgers get a couple of snaps with the first unit before chicago on september 5th i think ultimately you've got a lafleur disciple here of the shanahan mcveigh thing and i think that it's going to work it may take a little bit of time but um i just and again, I, I don't want to belittle this point to the point that I talk about it endlessly, and it sounds like it, but I think there's somebody out there for the Packers to go out and try to acquire to be a legitimate backup to, the, to uh, Aaron Rodgers. And that's the thing that somebody in Packerland isn't quite figuring out yet, is that Aaron Rodgers is not as durable as Brett Favre. Brett Favre played with torn knee ligaments. He played with a busted elbow. He played with a uh, torn up ankle and made 321, including playoffs, which I always got the biggest kick out of. He made 321 consecutive starts in Green Bay. That would never happen with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron just isn't that kind of quarterback. But somebody in Titletown has got to figure out we can't go into this next season with either Deshaun Kaiser or Tim Boyle as the backup. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I always like to have one of these stories on here with people whose lives, you just wonder how they get to this point. So busted coverage at busted coverage. Nashville woman Savannah Hitchcock leaves threesome for a food run, returns to the room, beats up her boyfriend. He calls her a cunt. Threesome is called off. Third wheel goes home. Savannah's popped for domestic violence for the second time since June. Oh my God. He left the threesome? She left the threesome, she left the threesome for, a food, for a food run. Then comes back and beat him up okay. for some reason, and he called her Because a cunt. he was probably getting busy with the one oh, that maybe. stayed. Oh, maybe, yeah, they were getting started. Yeah. I bet they started without her, and that's what oh, got her pissed yeah. off. Great point. Yep. I really, I, I'm actually very impressed with your threesome analysis. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I had some great very, times in Las Vegas. Very insightful. <laughs> I had some great times in Las Vegas. Somebody leaves a threesome. 
You know how hard it is to choreograph a threesome? It's difficult. Oh, I've been there, yeah. yeah. I know you have. And that's what I'm saying. It's not easy to do. And if somebody leaves and breaks up the threesome, we ain't waiting very long. That's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. All right. Judy probably won't listen to this episode anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I... uh... I I don't have the specific tweets I saw, but I want to bring up the story because you had uh, brought up slow playing golf last week and we talked about it. And so I thought it was pretty funny how there was the headlines like, oh, I do see one of the headlines here. Bryson DeChambeau tells Brooks Kepka to air slow play campaigns, quote, to my face. Yeah. And then, then the next headline I saw was Bryson DeChambeau says Brooks Kepka would kick my ass if we, yeah. if we fought. So anyway. Um, Bryson DeChambeau took a lot of shit this weekend uh, and continues to take a lot of shit this weekend as the PGA Tour is at Medina Country Club outside Chicago playing the BMW Championship, which is the second round of the playoffs. Next week is the Tour Championship, and that will signify the end of the season on the PGA Tour. And just a news and notes, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson will not play next weekend in Atlanta. They aren't going to make it. Um, They have to be in the top 30 to qualify for Eastlake in Atlanta, and both of those individuals will not make it. Bryson DeChambeau, if he is, uh, I think he's smarter than going up to Brooks Kepka and telling him, you know, if he's got an issue with his slow play, because it's funny, someone had made mention, oh, excuse me, I know what it was. On the Golf Channel this week, before the start of the tournament, they did an interview with Bryson DeChambeau and uh, Brooks Kepka in the same room, and somebody had made mention, and then DeChambeau said, well, if I go up to uh, Brooks and tell him about slow play, Brooks is going to kick my ass, as you just reported, and Brooks came back and said, you're damn right about that. So I just found that here, I yeah. don't think anybody is dumb enough to take on Brooks Kepka right now because I think Brooks Kepka could play outside linebacker and play it at a very high level in the National Football League. Brooks Kepka is the best player in the game. And uh, Rory McIlroy is right there with them. And when these guys start talking about we need to do something about slow play, there is a problem. And uh, there's always one guy that ends up being the poster boy for things that are wrong in professional sports. Bryson DeChambeau is our new poster guy of slow play in the game of golf. And it all comes back to a video that went viral Mm -hmm. on the social media last week where he had a 70-yard pitch shot, walks it all the way up to the green, then walks it all the way back. That is ridiculous, and that is why he has become the poster boy of slow play in professional golf. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got the exact quotes here. Let me tell you right now, he'd kick my ass. Brooks Kapka, you've got that right. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Okay, Onion Sports Network at Onion Sports. Major league umpires admit pitchers throw way too fast to actually see the ball. Which would explain pretty much all of Angel well, Hunter Pandas. Yeah, <laughs> um, that would explain a lot. Um, my question there is, and I think ultimately someday, I think still in my lifetime, we are going to see, like there's like you're seeing in that Eastern League where you're seeing robots. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to see oh, robots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have to. You have to. Have to. At yeah. some point in time in my life before I'm put in the ground, I believe that we're going to see robot umpires in Major League Baseball. Should just be a few years from now. And I don't think it's going to be that far away because there's just too much animosity these days between high-played athletes and the umpires. And when you got umpires, like you mentioned, morons like Angel Hernandez that have taken the game to different levels and not in a good way. No. Angel Hernandez has become the show when he's the umpire, and that's wrong. Um, 
you know, that's a great point when they say these pitchers are throwing it faster. So what, they're guessing? Or they're doing it on on hearing when the ball hits the catcher's mitt? That's what they're doing? Um, you know, it's instances like this that are going to bring robots to the game faster than we ever anticipated. Yeah. Okay, I mentioned last, I think last week to you about how Deadspin at Deadspin here, they're doing a team on why, like they do articles on why every NFL team sucks and they have a funny headline river. So here's one for this week. The quarterback is a human cup of ranch dressing. The Vikings suck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) I got to say this. I think Chris and I are pretty damn good at this, and we've gotten a lot better over the last 380 episodes. But I don't, I can't quote you what number episode it was, but I can remember exactly what both of us said in regard to Ziggy Wolf and his son Mark, who signed Kirk Cousins to a three year, $84 million, and all $84 million were guaranteed of that contract. I thought that was the worst signing in National Football League history, and I stay by my stance today. To guarantee $84 million to what I believe is a career backup is bullshit. Now, it's good it's the Vikings because it doesn't take them to the next level. And here's the sad thing. And I have cousins that live in the St. Paul area that are huge Vikings fans. And when I do see them, it just becomes a bitch fight between Packers and Vikings fans. But I'll tell you one thing right now. The Vikings, when they, now they lost a couple years ago to the Eagles, 38-7 to on the, at the NFC Championship game. Everybody remembers that. A great day if you're a Packer fan. But here's the thing. Offensively, bad day for the Vikings, obviously. Very good Philadelphia Eagles defense. But here, I pose this question to Chris, and I pose this question to our listeners of Unscripted. Since the Vikings went to Kirk Cousins at quarterback, and previous to that, Case Keenum was the guy that took him to the NFC Championship. Has the Vikings offense improved under Kirk Cousins versus what it did under Case Keenum? My answer is no. And if that pisses off Vikings fans, (laughs) who the hell cares? I don't think the Vikings have improved offensively with Kirk Cousins. And I think when it's all said and done, Rick Spielman, the general manager, Ziggy Wolf, the owner, his son Mark, and obviously Coach Zimmer are going to be like, when does this three years end up? And I don't think there will be a second contract for Kirk Cousins in Minneapolis. Yeah, that's not what you call a good ROI on nope. that, on, on $84 million investment. Uh, we've already talked about Mike Tyson, but I just wanted to mention that for the win and for the win, Mike Tyson says he smokes around $40,000 worth of weed a month at his ranch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, in California. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So. No, there's no question. And part of that, I believe, is for pain. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Part of that is for pain. It's not all recreational oh, yeah, use no. with Iron Mike. But, I mean, Mike, okay, let, we're not talking about a rocket scientist here. He's got some issues in regard to his health. And obviously, cannabis probably helps Tyson. And that's part of his $40,000 bill a month of, of uh, cannabis consumption. But before we all just think that he's Chi-Chi Chong incarcerated, uh, encapsulated or whatever word I'm using here. Um, some of that is for pain. And I, and I will give Mike the benefit of the doubt on that one. All right. So I've got three, twi- uh, three tweets here about the same play 
And we saw Jung Rhythm also for the win and for the win. This sad home run sums up the Tigers' year, which also they also say Tigers outfielders collide, knock ball over the wall for the saddest home run of the year. Uh, Deadspin at Deadspin said Tigers outfielder generously guides Kyle Seeger's third dinger over the outfield wall. And someone's an idiot at someone's an idiot. This is one way to make people remember you actually have a worse record than the Orioles. Yeah, you know, last year the Orioles were the worst team in baseball with a. Uh, I think it was, they lost 120-some games, maybe 118, something like that last year. The Detroit Tigers are worse. Um, Dave Dombrowski, when he left to take the GM job in Boston, that was the beginning of the end. Uh, Al Alvilla, I believe, A-V-I-L-A, is the general manager now. And what has he done? And I really believe the beginning of the end of the Detroit Tigers is when Mike Illich passed. Mike Illich was the famous owner of the Red Wings and the Tigers, and since Mr. Elich has passed, the Red Wings have missed the playoffs two years in a row after making it 25 seasons in a row. The Tigers were always a tough out in the American League Central, and now they are just, they're a laughing stock. Um, I just don't know, you know, I use the word rudderless a lot, and I think the management team of the Detroit Tigers right now is rudderless. They don't know what they're doing, and I think it's going to be a many years of lean ugly baseball in the Motor City for the Tigers. They just have nothing to get really excited about. And then their best player, Nick Castellanos, they trade him at the deadline to the Chicago Cubs. So Detroit, you are worse than the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, that's mean. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so Floyd Mayweather at Floyd Mayweather, the real guy. Numbers don't lie and BoxRec told the truth. So BoxRec is this uh, company that ranks all the top boxers and they have a point system that they use. And so they ranked, I'll, I'll give you, here's the top 25. Uh, and so some of these are crazy. I'll, I'll just mention them real quick here. I'll just say who they are. So starting from 25, working down, best of all time, James Tony, Jose Naples, Jack Johnson, Gene Tunney, Larry Holmes, Roy Jones Jr. At 19, there's a guy named Harry Greb. And I looked this guy up. The, like all these other records, most of these guys have like 50 or 60 wins. Larry, or, uh, Harry Greb. 262 wins, 17 losses, 18 draws. Wow. So I looked him that up. That must be when the New York Highlanders started playing. Yeah, it, so it's about, and this guy died when he was 32. And he won 200-some fights. Yeah. He, he, he must have been fighting every other weekend. Yeah, he had 300 fights in his life and died at 32. <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, this is a, how have I never heard? How has there not been a Hollywood movie know, about exactly. this guy? Exactly, and you know, the thing about it is, he was probably fighting for a purse of about $5.84 oh. if he had 300-some fights and died at 32. Holy uh, crap. Uh, un- unbelievable. unbelievable. He was fighting during the Depression. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then at number 18, we've got Rocky Marciano, who is 49-0. So uh, Rocky Marciano is the first one that's into the thousands. All these other guys had 900 and some points. Rocky Marciano has uh, 1,007. So then we go down to 17, Pernell Whitaker. Juan Manuel Marquez, Sugar Ray Leonard, Floyd Patterson, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, Roberto Duran, who has 103 wins. That's a lot. Uh, Evander Holyfield at number 11. Julio Cesar Chavez at number 10. He's got 107 wins. Number 9, Oscar De La Hoya. Number 8, Archie Moore with 186 wins. Archie Moore, wow. Yeah. Number 7, Joe Lewis. Number 6, Bernard Hopkins. Number 5, Sugar Ray Robinson with 174 wins. In, in fairly modern era. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, Muhammad Ali. And now Rob, he's got 1,485 points. Number three, someone named Carlos Monzon, who I don't know. Number two, Manny Pacquiao. 
And of course, number one, Floyd Mayweather Jr. So just so you see the gap, though. So Manny Pacquiao is at 1,633 points. Mayweather's at 2,255. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know how they calculate this. I was trying to do the math. I, I looked That's and it's... 622 points difference. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, he's he's almost like... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. And I mean, if you look down, it's not just based on wins and losses because Rocky Marciano's 49-0. and 0, Floyd's 50-0 and 0, and Floyd's way ahead of him. Yeah. I looked, it, there's way more to it than that. But based on just all their... Everything well, they do, Floyd is by far the greatest of all time. Well, there's no question, and and yes, I've been listening to you now for three years, and I've I've learned a lot, and uh, I agree with you. I think there may be some style points involved there, uh, in regard to how quick, how many of the fifty wins were knockouts. I will say this: of all the names that you just rattled off, I think obviously a lot of them were in the right position. I do take a bit of difference. I think Rocky Marciano at 49 and 0 needs to be higher than 18. That would be my only big one that I would would discuss with somebody, not argue, but discuss with somebody. Yeah, that's true. 49 and 0, that's yeah. pretty freaking good. Sure. That's as good as you can do. Yeah. And, you know, obviously maybe and as you mentioned, there are a lot of different factors that come into coming to the 2255 points for Mayweather, and I'm not saying Mayweather isn't number 1. I think, like you, pound for pound, best fighter in the world. But you go forty nine and zero in something, you're better. There are there are not seventeen people better than you in your chosen field. Yeah, that's all I'm that, going to say. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I like how we may have gotten a resolution to this whole Antonio Brown story, but I just like this tweet from this guy, Peter Bukowski at Peter underscore Bukowski, Antonio Brown. I am retiring if I can't wear the helmet I want to wear. NFL, you can't wear the helmet. Antonio Brown, see you at practice tomorrow. (laughs) Well, you and I talked about this last week. It's preposterous that this guy's going to give up nine figures because he doesn't want to wear a certain helmet. Okay? Aaron Rodgers is going through a new helmet. Tom Brady's gone through a new helmet. It's part of life. They're trying to protect you. Uh, if you were to retire, the helmet you were wearing that you love so much wasn't working very well because if you're willing to give up a nine-figure salary, you are an idiot. And um, I just think that, you know, the Raiders right now are in their... This is, this is the Raiders' time right now because this is the most time and the most attention that anybody's going to spend on the Raiders this year because of hard knocks. Because once the season starts and the Raiders start sucking, no one's going to care. But for them to get the exposure that they want, to get the exposure that they probably need right now, they're going to do and say some preposterous things. And I think this is just the most preposterous of all, that this guy's going to give up a multi-million dollar career because he can't play with this helmet. Antonio Brown... Just wake the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and learn what you're supposed to learn, learning your new offense in Oakland and make a contribution to your new team. And we will see you September 9th when you host the Denver Broncos in Oakland. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're winding down here. I just want to finish off a couple things here briefly. So, you know, Statler and Waldorf, they're the two Muppets that are like, they're up in the balcony, you know, like the they criticize everything. Oh, oh yeah. like Ebert and Cisco. Yeah, yeah used they're kind of like that, and they yeah. sit up there and they just make fun of everyone. Yeah. So this kind of kind of like re- you and I. Yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of reminded me. This tweet reminded me of uh, 
of of you a bit. And it reminded me of our buddy Ryan Hall a bit too. But it's one of them says, how would you rate this weekend, Waldorf? And the other one says, meh. And the other <laughs> one says, meh, not great then? And he says, no, it's been fine. Meh is as high as my ratings go. <laughs> and I just thought that was kind of a Mike Jensen, oh, Ryan Hall type me. thing. Oh, yeah, that would be me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be me. No question. Um, meh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of things have happened in this last year and a half, two years. And uh, um, except for getting together with Chris and, and uh, doing unscripted, there have been some things that at best have been meh over the last couple of years. And, and, uh, so yeah, I'm very relatable to that comment. And, uh, you know, regardless, my kids are still healthy. My wife still seems to like me. Chris still lets me come over and do this. So, you know, not everything is so bad, but I've become a little bit more jaded. I think over the last year, just because of some of the circumstances and some of the, the uh, situations that I found myself into and not all of them are because of my doing. Um, I can't do anything in regards to how old I am or the day I was born. And, and, uh, if some employers in Calgary think I'm too old to do the job, well, I think that that's their loss, but I have become more jaded. There's no question. Um, I really only have fun doing unscripted and when I'm on a golf course or when I'm in Las Vegas and, uh, I need to get over that. I know that. Um, but I need to find something like Chris did that's fulfilling and satisfying and you look forward to it. And, and I think that my attitude would change if I could potentially find something like that. Well, I think you've turned the corner in a lot of ways. You're in a better spot than you were well, at one time. Than yes you. and no. Um, yes and no. Is it totally satisfying? No. Um, but, um, I'm hoping that I get some clarity this week. Um, I've got a big week lined of, of meeting with some people and, and, um, I just, uh, I think my meh would turn into a little bit more enthusiasm if, if a couple things would go my way. And, and, uh, I know it's, I feel as I listen to this and I will listen to this as soon as Chris produces it, because I like to go out on my walks and critique myself, it'll come off that I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself and maybe that I am, and I need to get over that. But a lot of you out in the unscripted land don't know everything that I've been through this last couple of years. And so, um, I need to pull my head out of my ass and start looking at more of the positive things. And that's what I'm trying to do. But I have had a lot of challenges in the last year and a half, two years. And, uh, I think some of these, one of these days, something good is really going to happen. And I'm really looking forward yeah. to that day. Yeah. Variance will swing back the other way. Okay. There's a couple, uh, I want to end with a couple of Packers stories and I know we've done even more Packers stuff than normal, maybe this week, but, uh, you know, hey, you're listening to Unscripted. You're going to get your Packers and your Oilers fixed for sure. And maybe OD on those two things. Uh, real briefly, though, I wanted to mention, we already talked about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott's ridiculous uh, $40 million demand. Yeah. And uh, so I just saw two tweets I just wanted to quickly mention. Uh, NFL memes at NFL underscore memes. Uh, breaking. Uh, Eagles fans start GoFundMe to pay Dak Prescott the $40 million he wants in order to keep him on the Cowboys. And uh, Field Yates at Field Yates. Uh, his response to Dak Prescott seeking $40 million was, 2020 headline, Mahomes seeking $100 million annually and controlling interest of the franchise, which is, if, and you know what, that's what he deserves if Dak Prescott's worth 40 for sure. Okay, so two tweets I wanted to go over with, uh, uh, with the Packers. So the first one, uh, Deadspin at Deadspin. So this is the whole uh, why your team sucks. They're doing it for every... I'm assuming they're going to do it for the Patriots and sure. everybody. But uh, so here's their... 
Here's their uh, headline for it. Packers Nation is a cul-de-sac of odd-smelling ranch-style houses, each one uglier than the next, with a loaded handgun and a pan of gross-looking seven-layer dip on every table. The Packers suck. <laughs> There's nothing to say. He's 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 exactly right. Um, it is. If you've ever seen, and I've been to Lambeau Field many, many times, right outside Lambeau Field, you, you've got the physical stadium itself across the street, you've got the Don Hudson indoor facility, which is beautiful. Then you've got their five or six different practice facilities that are of the AstroTurf, you know, that field turf variety. And they've got a Ray Nitschke field and they've got, you know, each field is named after one of the Packers superstars of the past. But then right outside the Packers complex, you've just have neighborhoods of houses and that's exactly what it is. And every house has a Packer room. Every house is, has some variants of green or yellow in the exterior paint job. It is Packerville is what it is. I don't know how else to describe it. Seven layer dip is always there and there's alcohol always there and they will support the Packers no matter what. And every Sunday or Thursday or Friday or whenever the Packers are playing at Lambeau, everybody will throw a sign out in front of their lawn and let you park in their front lawn for 20 bucks. It's just... There are some things in life, folks, that don't ever change. Um, You know, every other stadium in the National Football League is in a downtown. Most of them are in a downtown urban area. In Green Bay, it looks like you're in the middle of a farmer's field. It's just different. It's been that way since the 50s, and it'll be that way probably in another 50 years. It's just that's the uniqueness of Green Bay, a town that is only 104,000 people. It's going to be different than every other 31 other stadiums in a national football league. Okay, so the last one I want to go over is a guy named Andy Herman at Scony Sports. Does does Wisconsin get called Scony a lot? Yeah, and it pisses me off. Ugh, that's yeah. Ew, oh, it's, I, it's like a derogatory name to uh, me. Well, I, well, I you know well, he's that's clearly like, not using it derogatory. That, oh, I know that, but to me, that's like calling somebody from Iowa out idiots out wandering around. Scani, that's uh, just cheesy, ugh. and it, it it doesn't represent the Wisconsin people well. But yeah, that's go a, ahead. That's a nasty word. Okay, so what he's done, he's come up with uh, twelve different categories for uh, best quarterback on the Packers. So your answer for each of these, you have to say either Favre or Star or Rogers, one of the three. So I want to see how often yours matches up with his here. So there's twelve different okay criteria. Yep. So I'm going to say something, and you say if. Which one of the three you think it is, and then I'll say which one he th- said it was. Okay. Okay. So here's twelve different ways to rank quarterbacks. Has to be one of the three guys. Got it. Favre, Star, or Rogers. Okay. Most important. And this is all time, right? Most important. Rogers. He says Star. Hmm. All right. Star had a lot of stars to work with. I don't think Rogers has that same. He doesn't have a Paul Horning or a Jim Taylor in the backfield. He doesn't have a wide receiver like Boyd Dollar. He doesn't have a wide receiver like Max McGee or a tight end like Marv Fleming. So I I, I would say Rogers, but that's okay. Best of their era. Rogers. You went with Star again. <laughs> well, that's the five championships, but again, he had a hell of a yeah. he had a hell of a cast to work with. Okay. Best off the field. Favre. Really? He went with star again. He's three for three on star. <laughs> well, he must be. If you're talking best, the guy that had the most fun and the guy that had that 
that I mean, there are stories. I think that, I think maybe that's the difference. I think you're looking at it as like most fun guy to like go have a beer with her off the field, and he's looking at it as like who's like I think he's picturing classy representative off the field. See, I'm looking at it at at the I at, think that's at the, the former in regard to Favre is legendary for pictures on top of a Green Bay bar. Oh sure, and yeah. buying the bar a drink, and he walk in with Mark Chamura and Frankie Winters. And they would just get hammered and they would go and, you know, who's ever in the bar. And, and uh, you know, so I, I guess I'm looking at it in a different way, but I'd still stick with Favre as, as off the field fun. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's just a clearly different ranking there. Okay. Most accurate. I'm staying with Rogers. Yeah. He went, he went Rogers for that. Too. Thank I th- you. I, th- I think you have to. Uh, best arm. Favre. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> that was, that's easy. That's probably the easiest one on here. Uh, best mobility. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, he agreed with that, and so do I. Most talent. Rogers. Yep, we went again. So the first three you guys are off on, but uh, these last four you've been right on. Uh, well, most rings. This is just factual. Star. Yeah, better. You don't have a choice there. Uh, best player on their best day. Rogers. Yep, he went with that one as well, and I agree with that. Game on the line. Favre. Okay, he went with star on that one. Yeah, I probably should have too. Yeah, I, so? I, I'm going to change that one. I would go to Bart Starr. Yeah, you think, you think Bart Starr was the most clutch of the three? Yes. Yeah. I, I do. And and the reason is is that uh, uh, Bart Starr lost only one playoff game in his decorated career. Wow. And his numbers got better. Uh, in the playoffs than in the regular season. Okay. And so I guess yeah. I, would, I would change that vote to Mr. Starr. Okay, that's fair. Okay, two left. Uh, well, this this one's pretty straightforward. Win a game today. I assume this means win a game today must mean win a game in 2019. Well, that's... That's Rogers. Well, <laughs> there's not even a choice there. Yeah. Okay, most enjoyable. Um. Now... No, I, I I've got to go with with Favre on that, and one. and he did too. Yeah, um, Favre just did things that uh, the other two just didn't do. Favre threw the ball through a brick wall, expecting it to get through, and a lot of times it did. Uh, Brett Favre also, as I've made mentioned on a previous episode of Freeform Friday, that Brett Favre didn't care about how many interceptions he threw. He just say say he would always just throw it, and I'll see you in three downs, and and. Uh, uh, I, I just think uh, Favre had the unbelievable proper mentality to play quarterback at the National Football League level. And it's a damn shame that he only won one championship. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So then, yeah, you, you disagreed with the first three, but you were nine for nine at the end there. So uh, so very interesting. Yeah, he's just uh, he was clearly leaning towards the older era and uh, giving a star more weight because of his extra rings. Well, in the older and, you era. know, also um, there wasn't and still isn't to this day a lot of videotape. You know, you can still get f- Green Bay games with Favre at quarterback on the NFL network and stuff like that. But there aren't there aren't that many videos of, of what Brett, uh, excuse me, when Bart Starr was was uh, winning the five championships in seven years as the quarterback of the Packers. And, um, you know, uh, Bart Starr, and, 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 and I think that the thing here is the difference in, first of all, time periods, and the difference here is coaching staff. Um, I don't believe in my heart of hearts that Brett Favre could have played for Coach Lombardi because if Lombardi, or excuse me, if, if, Favre, if Favre had trouble with Holmgren, 
I can't imagine what his problems would have been with Lombardi. Oh, yeah, no kidding. And that's just a different era. That's what I'm saying. Different, different time, society. different place. And that's why, uh, again, I think that each of them has something unique to bring to the party. Uh, but Star was the ultimate. I mean, he would go. There is video showing Favre going into team meetings and saying, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, in regard to Lombardi. And then there's that same video showing Favre walking into a team meeting with Holmgren and he's got flip-flops on and shorts and he comes in and he it looks like he's ready to tell home to go, Holmgren to go fuck himself. And I just think, again, time and era and personality yeah. much different between the 90s and between the 60s in regard to Brett Favre and Bart Starr. Yeah, that was just a societal shift, I think, is what that mostly was. Uh, I know we're getting late, but I just want one more quick one. I want you to guess which one this is. So this is one of those dead spin tweets about your team sucks, whatever. So I want you to guess which team they're describing here. Okay. The traffic is shit. The stadium is a tent prison. The team is abominable. And leadership ditched the iconic helmet logo in favor of something that looks like the logo for a major bank that's had a significant data leak. <laughs> Which team is that? Miami Dolphins. Yes! The Dolphins suck. Nice job. Great. Well done. Thank you, sir. Uh, great week of shows. We thank you very much. Really enjoyed it uh, all week. We uh, really, really had a fun. This was a really good week. And look forward to some things that Chris has working for us uh, early, early here in this next quarter of the calendar starting in September. I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually looking forward to getting back to writing some blogs. I know Chris is very, very talented at that. And you know, the funny thing is when I write a blog, I send it to Chris to make sure my grammar is right and my punctuation is right. And, and, uh, but I'm looking forward to that. So some big things coming and I look forward to getting them implemented and get going and getting after it again. Uh, some, just some other ways that we can, can improve, uh, unscripted and, and, uh, enjoy unscripted. It's, it's really an honor to get to do this and, uh, look forward to continuing to do it. Having said all that and saying again, thank you for everybody for your participation. Having said all that for the executive producer of unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen until next time.